Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. As part of this Behind the U podcast, as we focus on the great accomplishments with women's athletics, we are joined by Jen Strawley, Deputy AD and uh, COO at the University of Miami. Jen, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much, Josh. Always great to be with you. So this is the seventh annual celebration of women's athletics at the University of Miami. It's an event that generally is held in person, but of course, everything has changed in, in the year 2020 into 2021. So this year's event got pushed back and will be done a little bit differently. We'll, we'll get into some of those details here in a second about this year's event, but I want, I want you to walk this back a little bit. We are now in year seven of this event, which has raised a lot of money for women's athletics. Can you kind of talk about its origins, uh, how it came to be, your involvement in it, and how this thing just sort of pushed off? Off back in the beginning. Absolutely, Josh. You know, it really just started as, you know, an opportunity that we saw to first and foremost celebrate the wonderful accomplishments of, you know, fantastic young women in our program and be able to celebrate what they do, you know, on the fields, on the courts, in the pool, but then also how they excel academically and what they do in the classroom and then the amazing things they do in our community. And with that, the ability to, you know, create some exposure around that for them, but then also just engage our, our hurricane family and our hurricane community around that and through the Building Women's Champions campaign, begin to raise money to continue to support, you know, our female student athletes and be able to provide them with that first class student athlete experience. What was the first event and then how has it grown over time? You know, the first event was in the multi-purpose room at the Watsco Center, and I don't remember exactly, but I think we had about 50 people, you know, and it was just you know, a chance to bring some folks together and kick it off. And then, you know, I guess it was 2019 before we all shut down, or 2020, right before we shut down. We did it in the IPF. We had over 500 people, you know, have continued to increase. We, were, we raised you know, $650,000 that year directly around the event, and we, and we continue to raise money through our Building Women Champions campaign on a, you know, throughout the year as well. So yes, we've grown it significantly. You know, we've had great support from the institution, you know, President Frank, Blake James, very, you know, supportive of equity and ensuring we provide equitable experiences. And then, you know, been fantastic members of our board of trustees who have gotten behind this event and wanted to showcase what we're doing in athletics. And then there's just been fantastic supporters across the board that have helped us really develop and grow. And I'm really proud of where we are. I mean, obviously, as you noted, it's going to take a little bit of a pivot this year, but still give us the chance to, to celebrate and recognize. I mean, fundraising is always important across the board. Why is it important relative to your focus here on women's athletics? How is the money used? Where can it be distributed? How can it help support the programs? You know, absolutely. Uh, obviously, fundraising is critical to all that we do across all of our platforms in athletics. And I think when you look at it through the lens of our female student athletes, the dollars raised touch everything from, you know, whether it's increased charters that our, that our female student athletes are able to take, whether it's a foreign tour, whether it's, you know, direct pieces that we can put into the operating budget to enhance their experience, to student athlete development components and leadership opportunities that we are able to provide. Um, it really hits the breadth of their experience and really focusing on, you know, I, I view athletics as the opportunity to develop the next generation of leaders and through the people and, and opportunities we provide through athletics, that's where the dollars go to the sport that development of our student athletes so obviously there there's been a banquet in years past and we've teased the pivot which we'll, we'll i guess we should get to here in a second but are there ways outside of the i guess let's i guess look at this twofold how people get involved inside the event and then how people get involved outside the event 
to help support the cause. In a typical year, you know, around the banquet is a time where I think I would encourage those who have attended to continue to attend and those who haven't to next year when we kick it back off in normal fashion. Um, it really has been a spectacular event where you're just moved by the accomplishments of these young women and, and hearing from them directly. And so a chance to either sponsor a table or come and be present, you know, or do a, a, some type of leadership gift and greater level of sponsorship as well. And then we've coupled the celebration with our Building Women's Champions campaign, which really is our initiative to directly raise dollars that impact our women's programs. And, and so that's more of an annual continued component um, that people can support the overall experience for our female student athletes. This conversation here is, is being attached to a conversation I had on our Behind the You podcast with Estela Perez Somariba, whose probably career at the University of Miami is almost unmatched across, I don't care, gender, sport, you know, it doesn't make a difference. But beyond the athletic achievements, her overall well-being, for lack of a better word, or what she did in the classroom, community, just her whole journey from Spain, et cetera. And, and the reason why I bring that up, and I really hope people enjoy the conversation, is you, you mentioned how people are moved if they were able to come in the person and hear not only, you know, in this particular case, her story, but the other athletes this year or any years. And it's really just, it's humbling, it's moving, and, and it's motivating. It's very, very inspiring. It really is. And I mean, and Stella is a fantastic example. I couldn't agree with you more, Josh. I don't, male, female sport across the board. She's one of the best to ever put the U on and represent. And she's represented us in such fantastic fashion across everything she's done. You know, you could list her, as you said, her athletic accomplishments, which are really, you know, second to, to no one from a Miami history or quite frankly, from a NCA history, but it's really about who she is and how humble she is and the way she carries herself and, you know, how she's excelled in the classroom, um, you know, and what she's done in our community. And any anyone time you have a chance to interact with our young people, you see that side and there there's, you know, in this year's class, we have, you know, national champions and ACC champions and all Americans. And, um, you know, we also have the president of our student athlete advisory committee and, you know, young people who have done incredible amount of work in our community. And you just, have a chance to engage that and get to know them, you see what really what the, what college athletics is all about. And it's about the touch you can have with these really special young people. John Beeson has been a guest on this podcast and you're, you're trying to tackle and it could be in sport, it could be in life, it could be in anything. We were trying to tackle sort of what everyone's trying to strive for. And he used the word greatness, which really encompassed, you know, from the hunger to the desire, the pride, the work, whatever. It was, it was a chasing greatness. And whether it's Stella, as it relates to the celebration of women's athletics or the other athletes you've kind of referred to, I don't care the sport, I don't care the level, I don't care the individual through this event or even through the podcast or any other way that we can showcase any of the athletes, right? When you hear the sacrifice, when you hear the work that's put in, when you hear their humility, when you hear their accomplishments, surrounding, searching, seeking greatness, it's really uh, impressive, I guess, is, is for lack of a better word, is truly impressive. And really, I would encourage people to hear and find out more because I think they'd be more willing as willing to give and support. I agree with you. And, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to showcase so many of the wonderful young people who have come through our programs. Honestly, it's an honor. It's really a, a privilege to listen. And that's, you know, I think if people, you know, as things get back to normal next year, I would really encourage people to, to support this or any other of the endeavors that support the student athletes at UM because it's moving. Well, thanks for that support. We certainly appreciate it. And I, and I agree with you. And when you get to see these young people on off the courts and fields, you really get a chance to see that even more. 
we're going to have to explain the pivot, Jen. So uh, typically, as you mentioned, you would have an in-person event, a banquet. Typically, from what I know, it's in February. Obviously, everything is has changed in the last you know 12 to 16 months. This week, how has the event changed? How will you be showcasing the accomplishments of some of the women, at, the female athletes at the University of Miami? And then ha- what else will be done to sort of wrap your arms around the celebration this year and what obviously we all know has been extremely unique and, and somewhat challenging? Yeah, you know, I mean, you think back on this year and, you know, th- this I look at as sort of the culminating event or that just finishes off our year. Obviously, we have track finishing up competition this week. And then next week, we kick off, you know, a week of celebrating our female student athletes. And again, it'll look very different. Um, we won't have the personal touch, but we didn't want to miss the opportunity to get to the point of what you were talking about, to be able to let people see who these young people are and what they've accomplished. It'll kick off on, on Monday and we'll release, you know, videos that help celebrate each individual award winner. There's 11 of them for, you know, two a day here for the entire week. And then close it off with a, a student athlete panel that um, is going to be hosted by Ali Love, who those of you at Peloton riders will certainly know who she is, but somebody that Adidas has partnered with and Adidas has been a great sponsor of this event. So just a chance to continue to to showcase what these young people have done and really celebrate their accomplishments across the board. And then I guess also just for people that are not familiar with the event, essentially what you do is there's an individual honoree, right, for each sport for the university, correct? That's correct. So we have 11 honorees in the 11 sports we sponsor on the women's side. And it celebrates, you know, the individual on that team that's excelled athletically, academically, and as I said, in our community. And so recognize one in each sport and then have a chance to to celebrate them. And you've, I mean, you talked about support from the school with President Frank and Blake James, but even like past hosts, right? You've had big time names from ESPN, Allison Williams, Maria Taylor, obviously Peloton is as big as it gets too. So you, it seems like it has not been hard to get people not affiliated with the university to get involved and support this? We certainly have, and I'm thankful to all those who've come back and helped us support it. And I think especially, it, it's true across the board, you were talking about, you are talking with John Beeson, but the experience that you have as a student athlete and, and how that helps develop you for the future and those who can come back and help support that. And then in particular for women, and you, know, you can look at the research and what sport does to yield tomorrow's leaders and people who sit in the C-suites, you know, much high percentages of student athletes. Um, you know, we're going to have individuals who are going to be doctors, lawyers, wh- wherever their field takes them. And athletics teaches so many valuable life lessons. And I think because of that connection and being able to share that, people are willing to, to engage and, and help you tell those stories. I guess the key this week is make sure everyone's dialed in on, on social media, right? Because there's going to be a bunch of profiles, features, et cetera, drop that will showcase the greatness that we've talked about, right? And people will be able to see it, hear it, feel it, watch it, et cetera, in a slightly, slightly different format, but at the same time, ensure that these athletes are showcased in as proper ways that can be done and considering all the circumstances. Absolutely. So you can go to, you know, our main Miami Hurricanes social media accounts will have it. And then obviously the individual sports will pick up theirs. We're also going to have, you know, a hub on our on our website where folks can go to the website and, you know, click to see the there'll be videos as they're released on on each student athlete, you know, some introductory stuff and then obviously some thank yous for the people who supported it. But really stay tuned on social media or feel free to go to our website and see as it drops each day, too. All right, Jen. Well, I appreciate you taking some time from the standpoint of my pure, genuine, honest joy of being able to at least share Stella's story and others across the way as we continue down the, this voyage of, of, you know, the Behind the You podcast and getting people's stories out there, which is the ultimate goal. But it'd be hard not to hear hers or anyone else's and not be encouraged to give. That, that's about, about the best way I could put it. Well, certainly, you know, appreciate that, Josh. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and for all you do for us. You know, it's team efforts across the board, and I think continuing to get stories out and help people see 
you know, who our young people are. And again, they're wonderful athletic accomplishments, but there's so much more. There absolutely is. All right, Jen Strale, Deputy AD at UM, COO, influential behind getting this event off the ground. And I'm glad that it's grown. I mean, I think you've raised over $2 million so far through this event. That's, I mean, off the charts. Well, thanks. And we're going to continue to do that because it really does transform the experience for, for the young women in our program. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for explaining what this is all about and, and why and how uh, people can get involved. And, and we look forward to next year getting this thing back to normal. And if it was 500 last year, let, let's raise the number. Let's raise the bar and get more people out and more people supporting it because I think they will feel genuinely uh, fulfilled by doing it. So, Jen, thank you again. Thank you so much, Josh. My goal's a million a year, so keep pushing me to that. Let's do it. All right, I, I got you. When I see you during football season, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder and, and just see where we're at. All right, that sounds good. Well, I appreciate all you do, Josh. Thanks so much. We are back with the Behind the You podcast, and we are joined by Estela Perez Somariba. I got that right, yes? That was perfect. Perfect. Mi español es okay, más o menos. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> Appreciate it. And your English is beautiful. For someone who apparently could not speak very much English when she got to the United States. But Stella, first of all, thank you for doing this. You're in Madrid. I'm on everyone knows she's just got to Madrid like two days ago, and she agreed to take time out to be on the podcast. So Stella, first of all, thank you very much. Josh, thank you so much for having me. I've heard that great speakers have been here before and having spoken here, and I'm super excited. So thank you so much for having me. And listen, I'm honored to be here and to speak for, for uh, this amazing podcast. All right, so let me ask you this. What's the first thing you did when you got back to Madrid? Well, um, I took a nap. <laughs> you know, um, the jet lag was hitting me at the beginning. So yeah, I just took like a quick nap. And then obviously I ate some Iberic ham, uh, some Spanish food. You know, I, I really miss that. And obviously I spent time with my sisters and my family. And yeah, they were very happy to see me. I'm sure they were. So I'm going to tell you this. I actually studied in Madrid for a semester no in way. college. Yeah, yeah, for, I spent six months in Madrid. And I wanna tell you two things that are at the top of my mind that I remember from my time there. Number one is, if I went out, I didn't get home till like seven in the morning. Exactly. Cause you couldn't ride the Metro or the subway, it would close down, so you just had to stay out. Then the other thing is, I, I literally gained like 30 pounds. <laughs> we live with families, like families in Madrid, and all I remember is the olive oil every night. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Listen, when I go, when we go with uh, my team and we um, go into trips and we get to eat dinner together at the, you know, the lobbies of the hotels and, and, and all of that, I'm constantly asking for olive oil and they make fun of me. I cannot live without it. And it's crazy. Sometimes I go to some restaurants and they look at me like, what is that? Like, do you really need it? And I'm like, that's an essential part of, of my life, you know, and they don't get it. But it's okay, you know, that's part of our culture. And in terms of going out, I think this is the right way to do it. I'm sorry, but when I went out in the States, I was like, I think they're missing out. First of all, I will, I will say this. I'm a fan of taking naps. I can't get them as much anymore, but the siesta in Spain is, it would be a perfect fit for me. I'm not an early morning guy. I'm a late night guy. So I could do the siesta, work till about eight or nine, go out at midnight, back at 7 a.m. It fits with my personal culture. Well, that's good. I'm not a huge fan, but I think yesterday I really needed it. So I asked you what you did when you got back to Spain. So when I was in Spain, I was in college and I got back to the States. My mom asked, when I get to the airport, what do you want? And I said, mom, 
I want a black and white cookie. So, you know, it's a cookie that's half with the vanilla icing, half with the chocolate, all right? So I get off the plane and my mom has the cookie. And when she sees me, now I told you I put on 30 pounds. When she sees me, she actually took it and hid it behind her back and thought for a second not to give it to me. Listen, it's okay, you know? I think that's part of the experience. And honestly, I'm glad you had fun. All right, so let's get down to the nitty gritty with Stella because, oh, I want to tell you this too. And I mean this sincerely. And I've been around UM Athletics for a long time. You might be the greatest athlete to ever grace this podcast. And I'm being dead serious. Well, I mean, I'm honored, honestly. If you would have told me that five years ago when I committed to this university, I don't think I believed you. It's been an amazing experience. Uh, people have asked me to put into words how much this means to me and how much the last five years have impacted my life. And honestly, I don't think I can describe it because it's just been like an invaluable experience. And I've just grown and, and learned so many things. And I don't know, I've just changed in a good way in so many aspects that, you know, I'm just so grateful. And it has changed my life. And I've said it before, it's been like a dream. And, you know, super grateful for the opportunity that was given to me. And, and you know, UAM took a chance of me. Uh, that's how I look at it. And I'm glad that I was able to give back to them, um, you know, with, I think that not only my, my results, but also, you know, my, my personality, my values. I think that's a great way to, to impact, you know, at a program, people, and yeah, very, very happy. <laughs> you brought it up. They took a chance on you. How, how does a girl from Madrid end up in Miami? Okay, so every tennis player dreams about going pro and playing professional tennis and going to Grand Slams and being in the top 100. When I was 17, 18 years old, I, I had had very good results in Spain and in Madrid. I, I mean, I had won the Madrid Championship many, many times. I, I had been in the final of the Spanish Championship uh, a few times as well. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I was very happy with my results, but... I really wanted to take a step forward and I don't think that I was ready to play professional tennis at the age of 18. And I think that honestly, I was very humble because I told this to my family and, and to my coaches, like, I don't think I'm ready. And I think that to be able to acknowledge that at the age of 17, 18, I think it's, it's not easy. And you also see some of your friends uh, starting to play pro and, and traveling and, and getting sponsorships. And I don't know, you, you just wonder if, if you're ready for that. And I think that the people that was around me really supported me since the beginning. And they said, Stella, whatever you decide, we're going to just go with it. And obviously, if you ever need us for anything, we're going to be here for you. And, you know, I, I have been with my former coaches for 15 years, so... Obviously, changing the, the environment and living in another country, those were things that obviously were scary at first. But I think that, you know, I, I really embraced the opportunity that, that was in front of me. And I was like, listen, I'm just going to make the most of it. And I just wanted my period in the United States as a step in my tennis career, as, a, you know, something that could really help me and, you know, give me confidence. And, and honestly, that's what's been. And yeah, so basically, I contacted an agency here that basically helped me with the process um, you know translating notes my grades uh, all of the paperwork and I visited five different schools over a span of 20 days Miami was the first university that I attended and once I stepped on campus I knew that was the right place for me I had heard that the coaching you know was tough like people um, had expect high expectations of you 
And honestly, that fired me up. I just loved it. I saw myself practicing there, going to class uh, in Miami, uh, giving at the dorms. The teammates at that moment were amazing. They welcomed me with open arms and they made me feel like, like if I was home. And I have three older sisters. So for me, you know, I come from a big family. And when I was there, I promise, like, the feeling reminds me of, of being at home. And I don't know, I, I really wanted to challenge myself. And, you know, I, I knew that it was going to require a lot of work and sacrifice and, and all of that. But I knew that that was just the right place for me. And I knew that I was going to grow in, in many ways uh, if I embraced the system and if I embraced the team culture. And <laughs> honestly, I think I did. But yeah, that's how I ended up in Miami. And now I could say it's the best decision that I could ever make. You kind of met all your expectations. Let's just go through this real quick, all right? A national champion. We have the nation's top-ranked player. You're the Honda Sports Award winner. You're the two-time ACC Player of the Year. Today, you were announced again as a ITA All-American for like the 1,000th time in your career, even though you're only 20-something years old. You're the all-time singles winner at UM, two second all-time in wins in ACC history. I mean, seriously, Stella, that's insane. A lot of great athletes have passed by this program and UM Athletics, and, you know, those have been just an inspiration for me, and I don't think that I could ever accomplish what I did if, if it wasn't for the people that you know, really inspired me and, and just marked the path before me. And yeah. Stop with the humbleness. You're, you're awesome. But say, I'm all, no, I'm just kidding. Now, let me ask you something. Is there one of those that you're more proud of than the other? When I got the ITA Player of the Year award this year, that's an award given to the top ranked player in the year. And when I decided to come back a fifth year in 2020, Honestly, that was something that was in mind. That was a very important goal of mine. And when I found out about that, I was like, I think, you know, this is kind of the end. Like, this is finished business. And I was very proud of that. And I mean, obviously, winning a national championship is, is always special. And that's a dream that every student athlete has in mind. I don't know. Every I think that every award or every championship has a different story. And I was mentally in and physically in different spots. You know, I like during my career, I never thought of all of these uh, recognitions or stuff like that. I think that I've said it before. I always trusted the process, and along the way, I was getting <laughs> these these awards, and I never thought of them as like. You know, like, that's it. Like, I don't know. I just, I always wanted more. And I always had a lot of respect for, for the process and how hard it was to win. So I never took any of these for granted. So I think that really helped me to keep pushing myself. And also, I mean, Paige, I mean, the coaches that I've had always pushed me regardless of what I was winning. So I don't know. I think that every, <laughs> each of these are, is different. And obviously, um, you know, now I look back and, and I'm very proud. And, you know, I think that it's a way of just being rewarded all the, all the hard work that has been put in. Now, have your parents put up some more shelving in the house in Madrid? <laughs> Well, my parents are very grounded, so I'm very lucky about that as well. You got to put all this stuff somewhere. Now, but how'd you get it all back? I hope the airlines waive the overweight fees. Like, I hope they just let you take it and go. Well, over the years, over the semesters, I've taken some of them back. So, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't too bad. 
but yeah, it's it's an amazing, honestly. I it's it's crazy. Let's get into where all this started, okay? When we're going to circle back to your accomplishments at UM, but obviously your love of tennis has to start somewhere. And you were asked earlier this year about kind of your earlier childhood memories, and you and you recalled when you were five, you played in a tournament, you won, and you said, "I this was it, I loved it." So you vividly remember that moment, like that's when it started. I do. I was actually three or four years old when I picked up a racket for the first time. It was actually my dad's racket, and I started playing tennis against the kitchen wall in my house. And, you know, after breaking some flower vases and some other stuff, some other valuable stuff, my parents obviously decided, you know, to go to an actual tennis club and, and to basically join like classes. And they asked me, like, what do you want? And basically, my sisters and I started playing tennis at this club and taking lessons. And that was the first tournament that I played. I remember my grandparents, my parents, my sisters, everybody was there cheering for me. They even made like these homemade flags with like stars on them. And I don't know, I just felt so excited. And, and I just felt like that was kind of my place. I, I, I felt so comfortable on the tennis court. And I remember I was nervous. But then when I won, I was like, I just love this feeling, you know? And I think that's how kind of the competitive mindset started. Again, it's it's been a pretty crazy ride since then. So you fell in love from the start? Like, was it always tennis? Was there any other sports that you pursued? I never played any other sport, which is absolutely crazy because now in the States, you know, I hear people just play in high school. They do different sports. They do volleyball. They do soccer. They do mini tennis. They do, like, uh, track. And I never did any other sport. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. But, you know, I was very invested since the beginning. And I always had a great support system behind me. You know, my, my family and the coaches that I had never pushed too much when I was young. So, like, everything just came out for me. You know, I always wanted to practice. I always wanted to play tournaments. It always came for me. And I was never burnt out, which I am very grateful for. So when did you start to train serious? Because I hear in the States, I don't know if it's the same way over there, right? Kids get into tennis really early. They homeschool. They five days a week. They made me go to an academy. And so what was it like for you in Madrid? I know obviously you had the club, but when did you really start to take it seriously that this was going to be maybe something you would pursue? Well, so uh, my parents always wanted me to take academics very seriously. And that has also been a very important part of my life as well. I think, you know, spending time studying and, and managing well my time with the school has helped me to be, you know, more disciplined and just know myself a little better. And I consider myself very curious. So I really wanted to, to study and I never wanted to do online school or, or homeschool. So I always went to class every day from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then I was practicing in the afternoons. And when I was seven, eight years old, my former coach told my parents that he actually saw a lot of potential in me and that I could actually be very good. So that's when I started playing tournaments in Madrid and I actually started getting pretty good results. And, and, and I was just loving it. I was loving my time on the court. And I wasn't having pressure from anybody. So. I was just enjoying so much the process, the training, and I was loving combining both academics and tennis. And honestly, I think that this kind of 
like just combining these two things really helped me. And yeah, after that, I started playing, you know, almost every day and doing at least two, three hours with fitness. And, you know, it, it hasn't stopped. Do you travel around the country? Do you travel around Europe? Like how far does your, does this sort of passion expand itself? Well, when I was, I think, 11, 12, I started to play national tournaments since I was doing very well in Madrid. So I started playing, you know, national circuits, and I was selected by the Spanish Federation to represent Spain in the European Team Championship. And I actually was selected for that four years. I went over there, you know, it was like a summer cup, a winter cup, and I was just loving the, you know, the traveling, the, the overall experience. And that really helped me to know the level in Europe and they, they also like to know, um, you know, other athletes in other countries and basically understand how this world works. So, yeah, that was great. And, you know, since then, I, I also, you know, traveled by myself. You know, I, I started playing junior tournaments and I just wanted to, to raise my level by playing against people that was better than me. And that obviously helped me to, you know, keep practicing, keep getting better. When you see that people around you are better than you, that forces you to just get better. And I, I've always been very like realistic. So yeah, I always wanted to, you know, improve. And my ultimate goal obviously was to play professional tennis. But again, college got in the way. And obviously it was, it was great. Who was the tennis player, professional tennis player that you looked up to or maybe tried to model your game after or just really loved watching to play? If you even, I mean, did, if you had time, I mean, did you even have time to watch tennis tournaments? Of course, yes. Well, when I was young, I used to watch Justine Nan. She was a, a European tennis player, and I loved her because she was short, and her style of game was kind of similar to mine. I just loved her. I just loved how she was, also her mentality, how she spoke in press conferences, everything. And she was a reference to me at the beginning. And obviously, you know, I mean, great players such as Serena Williams, Roger Federer. I mean, those players just, I don't know, they are absolutely amazing i don't think we're ever going to see anything like that before and we're ever going to see anything like that moving forward they've inspired me and i think that over the years i've realized that you know i need to have my my own style and everybody has a different path so you cannot really compare yourself to others a lot but you know you see high level and you try to imitate it and i have always watched a lot of tennis either, you know, women's or men's, and that has pushed me a lot, too. So what's your style? If I'm playing you, I'm trying to talk to someone, what's Stella's game like? What, what are they going to tell me? What, what's Paige going to tell me? What's your coach going to be like? Here's her strengths, here's her weaknesses, here's how you attack her. So actually, a few times I've asked Paige how would she beat me, and I was kind of expecting her response, so it was fine. What'd she say? Ah, what'd she say? What'd she say? Uh-huh. I mean, are there like any opponents of mine listening to this? Nah, we don't. We, we, we block them. We block them all. Don't worry about it. Okay, good. So I love hitting from the baseline. I really like my forehand. Actually, a funny story. When the NCAA said that our 2020 season was canceled last year, I remember we had a practice and Paige said, you know, Estela, you're a senior, so you get to pick whatever exercise, whatever type of training, we, you know, you want to do today. Obviously, everybody was feeling very bad for me and, and everybody was very sad because of the, the whole situation and, and everything going on. So, you know, I, I looked at everybody and I said, I want to do cross-court forehand. And everybody was just like, are you serious? Like everybody, like, everybody wanted to play games. Everybody wanted to just have, like, 
a great time and laughs and all of that. And I just said, listen, we're only doing for a cross court for him. So that's what we did. And, you know, everybody was you know embracing it, but they could not believe it. They were embracing it. Are you sure they were embracing it? I don't know if they were embraced. They might have just put on for you. I think they were just doing it for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were just pretending a little bit. It's okay. Right. Exactly. They wanted to play games. Believe me. I know. So I think that kind of demonstrates, you know, how much I, I love grinding from the baseline. You know, over my time in Miami, I really tried to improve my surf and I've learned how to volley and come into the net i played doubles all of my years in miami so that really helped me and it helped me to also incorporate you know other other shots into my game and i mean i really like my slice as well like i can slice and i think that one of my you know best strengths is that is my fitness is how physical i make the matches i think that at the beginning of the matches the score is kind of even you know but then as the match progresses I'm able to separate myself from the other player just by being tougher and being more resilient and, and just making matches physical. I think that's how I've won a lot of matches. In the quarterfinals, when you play the comeback against the, the girl from UCLA, that was all just a setup. You put yourself in that hole just to show them how tough you were, right? Um, Sure. <laughs> yes, I guess. I guess. Yeah, I think I, like if, if you're watching me playing, I don't have like wow shots. I don't have wow shots. I really build the points. I play, I like playing long points, but you know, I think my mindset really helps and that's kind of my strength as well. You know, I, I, I really want to win and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. You've mentioned it here a few times, doing some research for this. You've used the words relentless and tough more than once, a lot of times. So where did this like strength, sort of combative, tough, like I'm going to beat you mentality come from? Okay, so I think it comes from like two different sources, let's say. I think that well, when I was younger, I used to play alone. I never had other people to play with. So all I do was just doing baskets, like forehands and forehands. Like some days we only did forehands, but I never played with somebody. It was all, you know, like just baskets. So my coach was kind of, you know, he, he couldn't play against me because he didn't have the level. So I just repeat and repeat and repeat uh, shots until I got them right. And that's, I think, how kind of my style of game started and developed. Also, I mean, I come from, from a family, like my background has always uh, pushed me a lot and, and have taught me that, you know, you really need to try to do your best and to give your all and to try to be the best and you know i'm very lucky that i had a family like that and, and my sisters and my parents have been a perfect example of, of how to overcome uh, obstacles and set goals and i'm very grateful for that and you know my parents when we were little they never accepted anything but at the best again i think that's very powerful to have a family that really teaches you that you know regardless of the talents that you have hard work and the work ethic is way more important than that. You know, I've seen and I've played against many, many, many talented players, but I believe that without the right hard work, like the right work put in, there's no shot. And that's kind of my motto. And that's something I really believe in. And the last one, obviously, when I got to Miami, I understood that I could give more. I could always give more. Sometimes we think that we're actually trying our best and that's not the case and Paige really made me believe that I always had enough to beat everybody and that's a mindset and that's a lifestyle 
And I really embraced that since the beginning. And I think that, you know, after I played against very good opponents my freshman year, I realized that I could actually be very good. Like, I really told myself, like, let's do this. Let's commit, have pride in what you do, and and let's go. And, you know, even though I don't have maybe the, the physical qualities, the perfect physical qualities to play great tennis, I, I really, I think, made the best of, of what I had in I think um, that really worked out and I just kept getting better, I think. And I really trusted the process. So you said you you and your sisters all play tennis, right? Well, we started all playing tennis then. Uh, ah, right. So how competitive was every, how, how competitive, I guess, were they with you or did you just run them out, run them out of the sport? Well, at the beginning, we had a few fights, I'm not going to lie. It was a little rough because then I started beating my older sisters and they were like, wait, what's going on? And I think from that point, they decided to quit. You know, I, I feel bad, but, you know, uh, that's how sisters are for, so it's fine. But, you know, they've always supported me and they've always appreciated what I've done. And obviously, well, they've done other stuff. I mean, the oldest one is a, is a professional pianist. And, you know, the second one is, is an architect. The third one is an engineer. So, you know, um, everybody... I think has pushed themselves and really tried to give it all. And, you know, we are in very different fields, but yeah, everybody has obviously tried to, I don't know, have an impact, I guess, wherever we go. So we've got kind of two sides to the equation, right? You're someone who's ultra competitive, but you also said you're a realist, right? You're very self-aware. So you mentioned earlier in the podcast that when you were done with high school, obviously it's your goal to be a pro, but you understood that maybe that wasn't the right time for you. Was that a hard thing for you to rationalize or were you so realistic that you just understood that I really should go play collegiate tennis? It was very hard. I'm not going to lie. It was hard because... I had never lived away from home. I always had the same coaches and it was scary going to a different country with another culture, different coaches, teammates. Like all of a sudden I, I had people to play with, people with different styles. I, I just could not wrap my head around that. And I was very happy that I was gonna able to get a degree. I, as I said, I, I never took anything for granted. So. I always knew that the opportunity in front of me was ideal for me to, to improve personally and, and, and tennis-wise, but it was just scary. It was just scary, and, you know, I think it's normal to feel like that. You know, when, when things are, like, when there's uncertainty and you don't really know what you're getting into and you don't really know what you're going to find and if you're going to like it and if people are going to like you, Oh, and like, you know, it's like, it's not easy, it's hard. And, you know, I'm very glad of how I adjusted myself to, to the American culture and to the program and to the culture and the schedules. And the, I don't know, I mean, all of a sudden I was eating dinner at like 6 p.m. and I was like, what's going on? You should be sleeping. Yeah, I don't know. Something this was weird about that. <laughs> I really tried to find the positives in, in all of that. So even though it was like the situation was kind of intimidating at first, I really tried to find the positives and I realized that I just had everything to be successful and to just become the best version of myself. So you mentioned you went on this trip, right? You visited like five colleges in 20 days and Miami was first and you fell in love. Was there another school you were considering? Like, did it come down to Miami in another school? Did Miami just 
run away with it? Like you fell in love and that was it. The other four schools didn't have a chance. Like how'd you ultimately decide, you know what, it's Miami? Well, so obviously like the decision came down to two schools. I don't know if I am allowed to say the second one. Yeah. Well, maybe. Who is it? I really love Vanderbilt. That's fine. If you said Florida, Florida State, we might have had a problem, but Vanderbilt's fine. Yes. I mean, the coaches are just great, and the teammates at the moment were amazing as well. And, you know, at the end of the day, it just came down to my gut and, and my feeling. And I think that my experience would have been great at another school as well. But I don't think it might have been as amazing as it's been. But yeah, you know, at the end, I, I took a paper, I took a sheet of paper and I wrote down the pros and the cons. And honestly, I couldn't find a con that really made me say, no, I cannot go here. Everything was just like an opportunity for me. And the cons were just, you know, stuff that was going to challenge me and push me and ultimately get myself better. You know, I just made a decision and once I made it, I was like, you know, I'm the type of person that when I commit to something, I'm really com like I'm really going to commit. I don't find alternatives. So I knew that I was gonna be in this school for four years. I knew that it was gonna be four years. So I I don't know, I really committed. And you know, the beginning of my journey in Miami, like the first few months, was kind of interesting. I was definitely just wondering myself if, if I had made the right decision. And, you know, one time actually we were running some sprints um, in fitness. The famous sprint story. Yeah. And that was kind of life changing for me. I remember going home. I remember going to my to my dorm and just just crying. I remember crying so much and really like, I mean, I was like, this is my place. Like, is this really my place? Like, I'm not sure about that. And, you know, I called my family and I told them and, you know, they told me Stella you have two options either you quit and you leave or you embrace it and you get better and you make the most of it but don't, don't call us anymore for this that's what it is so get better and i remember i hung up and i was like this is it i looked at myself in the mirror and i said like we're gonna do this let's go so the way I understand the story, you're running sprints, getting conditioning, and you were just gassed, right? You just felt like crap, but you still powered through it. But I guess when you got home, reality set in. Exactly. And, you know, I've, I was actually just telling myself, like, am I going to be able to handle this for four years? Like, am I that strong? So I guess, you know, I did it. So I'm, I'm very proud of that person that, you know, decided to make that decision and decided to commit and I'm, I'm trying not to get emotional. Huh? I've made a few people cry on this. So keep the streak going here. I got a special touch. You mentioned culture before culture shock. What were some things that were eye opening to you? Like this is not home. This is different. I'm in a different country, a different place. Like what shocked you? Well, I remember when they told me about the schedule and they told me that I had to be in the training room at 545 AM all of a sudden. I was, like, I was like, I mean, is this real? Like, I'm used to waking up at like 8.30 here in Madrid. And I was like, wow, like 5.45, like, am I, I mean, am I supposed to eat breakfast before, after? I mean, do I need to go to sleep at like 7 p.m.? I was just very confused. So I think that's just one example of many, you know, obviously with the food, with the type of food, I, I really needed to also be aware of what I was eating and I really wanted to, you know, be fitter. And at the beginning, I was just like, how am I going to do this here? Like, 
I have so many, so many, you know, distractions and, you know, all of that. So those were just things that I was thinking of the whole time, especially at the beginning of my career, because everything is just new. So you're just really doing yourself to get used to everything. Also, I mean, all of a sudden I was having trainers and people that was taking care of me so much. And I just wasn't used to that. And I, I thought it was great, you know, but all of those things really make you think that you're just in a different place and the system is just different. So, yeah, but I think I really like realized since the beginning that I had all of the resources to become a great athlete. And, you know, I was having like the facilities, the, the people, the, the training is just so perfectly, you know, set for you to, to be great and improve. And I knew that since the beginning. So I, I, I really embraced it. My sources tell me your English when you got here wasn't great. Now it's wonderful. That's another, that's another uh, part of the story. So that must have been scary, right? It must have been scary. I mean, I, I'm, I'm being, now I'm being serious. We've, we've had a lot of laughter here, but in all, in all honesty, you're coming from a foreign country. You're coming to a new place. You're going to school. If you don't speak English very well, you're trying to fit in. Go to, forget tennis, right? Going to class, fitting in, making friends. Like, I imagine it was intimidating. No, I know, and I, and I know. But I'm going to say something to that. I believe the American culture and the American people uh, were so welcoming. I was surprised by how nice and comprehensive and amazing people were to me at the beginning. I don't think I ever had a bad experience in terms of feeling like I wasn't fitting in. You know what I mean? And I am so grateful for that. And I think that really demonstrates that I was always surrounded by the right people. And that's, I think that's on me. Like I really wanted to make really good friends, but really good ones, you know, and, and I really wanted to be surrounded by great people, elite people that was going to push me and, and get me better. But in terms of, you know, how to make friends or how to fit in or stuff like that, I was always like people were very welcoming since the beginning. And honestly, that's priceless. And, you know, even though, as I said, it was intimidating and a little scary, feeling like that is, is great. It's amazing. So, yeah, I mean, also you have like advisors that really made your life a little easy. And yeah, that helped for sure. Was there someone that kind of put you under their wing and like took care of you? Like, oh, like was kind of when you're a freshman that kind of made sure you were okay, whether a, 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 another person on the team, coach, someone, someone that just kind of said, Stella, I got you. Well, I mean, I had really good teammates. I, I mean, I always looked up my upperclassmen when I was a freshman and I really got along and I made friends with them. And, and, you know, your teammates sometimes are not your friends, but in this case they were. And, you know, I, I knew that they care about me. And I mean, some of them came to Orlando to watch my final last week or two weeks ago. And that means the world to me, honestly, you know, it's, it's people that, you know, are going to be, you know, uh, for you anytime and it's priceless. And that's one of the best things that I've gained in the United States is basically like a family. I mean, obviously, you know, Paige since the beginning has been such a great mentor for me and she, she was always best. Yeah. I honestly don't have words to describe how much she's meant to me and she always pushed me and, and challenged me and she wanted to make sure that I knew how difficult it is to be great and how much you need to sacrifice in order to, to be great. And she made me believe that I could accomplish things that 
honestly, I didn't know that I could even accomplish. So yeah, I think that that was teamwork. That was a team effort and everybody was just very, very welcoming. You said that she, not, not only she pushed you, which you just said, but she made you believe in yourself. How did she do that? Well, it's just her expectations that are so high of you that you want to meet her halfway. I don't know. It just, she, she demands from you a lot. So that really makes you wonder why is she asking so much from me? That maybe that's because she believes that I could actually make it happen. And I think that's one of the, the best qualities that she has. And she does it in a way that, you know, that she still cares about you. It's not easy to be a coach. And I mean, in, in my case, I always kind of understood the way she was coaching me. And every time that she told me something, either negative or positive, then I was going to my dorm and I was just trying to find a why and the purpose of what she was telling me. Just the fact that she was always expecting more, more from me really made me wonder that am I actually capable of giving back all of that she's asking me to or whatever. She just believed in me and, and that's one of the best things a coach can do for a player. Now, she believed in you, but she says she says very famously in, in an ESPN article that she thought maybe you'd be a number three player. I'm sure you've seen that. I'm sure you've seen the quote, right? Yeah, <laughs> we've actually had some like interesting conversations. You know, she she's told me, Estela, I think you were going to be great. But obviously, I never expected you to do all of that. And honestly, that's such an honor. Like, I just feel humble when I just hear that. I think that. Once I was winning and when once she was just seeing what I was accomplishing and how I was training and all of that, I think her expectations and just got even higher, like every, like every day just got a little higher. From playing four or from playing three for the University of Miami to winning not only one, but two national championships. And honestly, that's amazing. And I'm just happy that... I've been able to have her as my coach and I don't think I could have ever done it without her. So I, I owe her a lot and it's been hard to say goodbye to her for sure. Because, you know, she, she changed my life in so many ways. She gave me opportunities to be great and demonstrate what I was capable of doing. And that's priceless. I think nowadays opportunities are just invaluable. And yeah. Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. I ask this to a lot of athletes. It's kind of like the moment you arrive. We know that you're a hard worker. We know that you're a realist. We know you're competitive and you're very aware. My next question is how confident were you when you were a freshman? And the reason why I ask is what did you think of yourself when you first stepped onto the court for practice for the first time as a freshman? Were you scared, nervous, or did you get on the court and say to yourself, no, I belong here? Well, I think that I'm an athlete that has expectations of myself. And my coaches had, like, they had told me how excited she was of having me in the team. And that really made me confident in a way, you know, I think it's, it's very calming when you know that 
everybody welcomes you and, and everybody's really happy to to have you in the team. But I don't know. I mean, I was just nervous about earning my spot on the team, I think. Great players were in that team when I just got there. And I didn't know if, if I was able to make it, you know. I don't I I just wasn't sure if, if I had the level to make it. And the first practice that I had was absolutely horrible. There we go. That's what this this is what we're here for. The details, the juicy details. I was trying also, I was trying like different strings, a different racket. Everything was just a mess. I was so tired. I remember they made me practice with the number one player at the moment, Shine Lohan. And I was gasped. We were just doing like a cross court drill and I just couldn't breathe. And Paige was looking at me like, <laughs> like we're gonna have fun, you and me. So yeah, that was kind of the first practice that I had. And I don't think it could get any worse. So that really helped me to, you know, just get better. Obviously as time went on, I realized that practices were huge for me because I'm a player that, you know, um, as I said, I, I like spending time on the court and I don't like to leave the court until I make it right. So, yeah, I started just embracing everything. I also, the, the type of training was very different than the one I was used to back home. So that was also a challenge for me, but it was just so great to have different people to play with, you know, different styles and uh, different personalities also. So, yeah, let's just say that my first week was kind of off. But, you know, we could only go up from there. The other thing I like to ask people who have achieved greatness, I think a lot of people in this world think they work hard. But the great ones, I think, put in a level of work that is almost unmatched. And it then also kind of reflects on the people who think they're doing hard work. And you go, no, 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 that's not hard work. This is hard work. Did you put work in on your own? How much did you put on your own? I want people to understand your pursuit of what you accomplished. I did a lot on my own. I remember Paige talked to me and she told me about the importance of taking days off. I remember going, <laughs> okay, so I love hitting against the wall because the ball always comes back. So that was a type of training that I did back home. So I remember going on a Sunday to the wellness center and playing against the wall in the squash courts for, you know, like an hour, maybe two. And I did that a lot of times. And then I realized that, you know, they self are very important too. This is just one example, but I've done a lot of work in my own mentally, physically. The training that we have, like the schedule and the system is very well prepared. So you're not supposed to do a lot of physical stuff on your own, but, you know, stretching, Basically, I started doing yoga by myself also. I started, I don't know, mentally, like reading books, watching documentaries, watching movies that inspire you, watching tennis, really trying to know what to your witnesses. Also, you know, following other competitors of yours. I, remember, I mean, I've watched thousands of other matches from my opponents before playing them because I wanted to know how they played. Like the study was just great. I mean, I, I think I could go on and on. I also, you know, did double sessions by myself in the afternoons that were completely voluntary. And I thought that I really needed those. But, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about myself and about my body, about my mind. When I had free time and 
when I was able to, you know, just sit down and reflect on, on what I needed to improve. You know, I'm, I'm glad that I always wanted more, that I always wanted to get better in, in many ways, you know, just getting more flexible. So just stretch more hours, get stronger, get fitter. Um, I mean, I completely changed the way I was eating when I went, when I arrived in the States. I decided to take nutrition classes because I wanted to understand what did I need to eat? What did my body need at different moments? What was better for me? It's a lifestyle. And I think sometimes I did more than what I should be doing at that moment because, you know, I think resting is also a very important part of the training. But as I said, I'm very glad that I always kind of followed my my gut and, and I always did what I think was the right thing at the moment. But yeah, I did a, a lot of stuff on my own. And even, you know, talking to my family, you know, I'm sure that other athletes talk to their families and they talk about, you know, how the day is going, friends, what's going on back home. And I remember having conversations with either my sisters or my parents, like for hours, just talking about what I need to improve or how should I take something that Paige told me and really try to find the positive from everything because it's, I mean, you go through a lot, you go through a lot. And when you're an elite athlete and you play the entire year, it's an all year season. And I mean, you are the leader of your team and, you know, there's a lot of responsibilities that you need to take and, and it's a lifestyle. And again, the support system that I've had has been amazing and I couldn't have made it without them. But yeah, it's, I think that the, the work behind the scenes is three times more important than when people see. I've always followed that with the, the training regarding to my body, my mind, my, my everything. So yeah, it's a lifestyle. I think that's kind of the, how you summary everything. Here's my lifestyle. None of that. I'm going to sit on the couch. Give me the, <laughs> give me the documentary I'm watching and give me the book I'm reading. Well, right now I'm reading a book called The Power of Now. It's kind of like a... I don't know, it talks about like habits and, and how important they are for, for you. And, you know, I think that success is just earned in the everyday activities. Success is not earned from like in, in, in one day. So, you know, habits are basically the key, the key for that. And, you know, when, when COVID hit and basically everything shut down and there was uncertainty, all of a sudden I didn't have a routine. And I think that was the biggest challenge for me. I didn't have a routine and that my routine is so important for me. It was just hard, like hard to adjust with everything going on because, you know, I didn't have anything to do really during that time. So I think that I really had a routine over these years that really helped me to get better every single day, you know? But yeah, this book really helps. And I mean, I just started, so I'm, I'm very excited for that. But I've read a lot of books similar to these and... They never get old. They they really help you in some way. Give me a documentary that really touched you, that you that really moved you mentally or emotionally. The documentary about Serena Williams, you know, when she talked about coming back and and how much she had to work in order to make the comeback happen. That was definitely a good one. And also the autobiography of Andrea Gassi is also a great book. They really teach you that you can always do better. They can always do better. And successful people are, are obsessed about getting better. And I think that you you really need to be like that in, in, in order to, to be the best in what you do. And yeah. So we know you're the best. Okay. You know, you're great. You no, don't say that. <laughs> no. Okay. You're really good. You're really good. 
You're very good. You're pretty good. You're okay. You're all right. Uh, maybe a little overrated. A little overrated. I don't know what all this attention is about, Stella. I seriously, I don't know why everyone's making a big deal about you. So. Um, was there a moment during your tennis career at UM, a match, an opponent, something where it gave you the belief that you could be the dominant tennis player you wanted to be? Yes. Yes, yes. Even though you're not that good. <laughs> of course. We just said that. Right. It's fine. It's fine. I like it. So I played my freshman year against the NCAA singles championship. And I remember that was such a big deal for me. I really, really wanted to make it to that tournament. I thought of making that tournament the entire year. And when I, I, I remember the moment I knew I was in the tournament, you know, Paige called me and she was like, listen, congrats, you, you made it. And I was just crying. I was tearing up because I was so emotional and so excited and so proud of myself. And all of a sudden, I get to Georgia, the University of Georgia. And I felt like I didn't belong there. All of a sudden, I saw these big, talented, tough, strong players practicing on the courts. And I'm like, am I supposed to compete against them? It was, you know, at the beginning, it wasn't easy. And I was nervous. And I played matches and I won matches without playing my great tennis. Until then, I had actually played very good tennis during my freshman season, like the regular season and the ACC tournaments and the NCAA championship, the team championship. But when I got to this singles championship, I didn't play my best tennis and I was still winning. And I was leaving the court and I remember crying after winning the Sweet 16 match. It was a crazy match. I was 5-2 up in the first set. Then I lost it. Then I was 5-2 down in the second set, and I won it. It was just such a roller coaster of a match that when I finished and I left the court, I saw Paige, and I just started crying. And Paige was telling me, you are fine. Everything is going to be fine. Trust yourself. Trust your preparation. It's okay to win matches, not playing great. That's part of being a champion, I think. It's, you know, when you win this type of matches, they gave you three times more confidence than a match that you actually played great. So when I lost, I made it to the semifinals and I lost against Elena Wilcock. Uh, she was a senior. She was a top five player um, in the country at that moment. And I remember going home and I started actually writing in my journal I said to myself, if I made it to the semifinals without playing great, what am I capable of doing? You know, let's challenge myself. Let's prove people that, you know, you can actually do great. And that was definitely a, a, a moment that I will always remember in a tournament that really taught me what college tennis was about. And that, you know, the fight sometimes is more important than anything else. All right, so you got to explain something to me because this, this doesn't make any sense. You're the 2019 national champ, but you finished number two in the nation. And you defeated the number one player who I think finished ahead of you. So I graduated from college. My brain works okay, but that doesn't, I, I haven't been able to figure that one out. Listen, I don't even know how the rankings work. I know there's kind of a formula that uh, the system uses. I got a formula. You're the champ. <laughs> you should be number one. That's pretty simple. Yeah, I mean... As I said, I'm glad that I never focused on this stuff because when I found out about that, obviously I would have loved to finish one, you know, like in, in an ideal world, but it didn't really affect me, to be honest. 
And that actually fired me up. And I was like, I need to finish number one. That's my goal. That's what I want. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Is that why you came back? I mean, <laughs> that wasn't the main reason why I came back. But that was definitely a factor that really made me consider the option of coming back. I think the fact why I decided to, to come back was just like a little deeper. Besides really wanted wanting to finish my career like I always wanted to do. You know, I had a great team and I felt that I could actually give a lot and teach a lot to these players. I don't know. I just felt that my journey at the University of Miami just wasn't done yet, wasn't over. And I was so right. I think that, you know, this year just taught me a lot. And just the fact that I was able to compete next to my teammates and next to Paige and the entire team, it's been amazing. So, yeah. We referenced that quarterfinal epic win over your competitor from UCLA. But the thing about that that I thought was pretty cool on this run was that I feel like you really galvanized a lot of people who follow the U beyond tennis. You know, Manny Diaz tweets about you. Katie Meyer tweets. Did you, did you feel the love? I felt it. I felt it a lot. And I was trying not to spend a lot of time with my phone, trying to, you know, just think of, of the of the following match the next day. But you know, it was it was great, honestly. And I think that kind of, you know, showed the type of person and, and, and athlete that I am. And I remember that I had a, I had to face a match point and I'm surprised of how calm I was. I remember it was a second serve. I missed the first serve and I was about to serve the second one. And I never thought of finishing with a double fold or I never thought of just finishing there. I was always thinking that I was going to win. I, I was basically one point away of losing. And I never thought of that. I never thought of that. And, and I'm so glad that I, that I just had that winning mindset. I don't know. I'm... Like right now, I'm just even emotional because I don't know, like that's not what a roller athlete would have done. So I'm very glad that I was always expecting to win regardless of the score. And I knew that if I just won that point, the momentum of the match was going to change in my favor. So again, I made it physical and I just stayed relentless, which I think is a pretty important component of being successful. And I just made it happen in some way. Now, have you put the final, final match? Have you put it behind you? Do you still think about it? I imagine the competitor that you are, like, do you still have thoughts of points in that match? Or have you been able to just kind of walk away from it? No, I, I still think about it. And I think it's fine if you do it from a constructive and positive perspective. I mean, it wasn't easy knowing that that was my last match, my last match in college. I remember I was listening to the national anthem and my eyes were just watery. And I knew that wasn't a very good signal, <laughs> but I think that after everything that I've gone through, it's, it's normal. I remember I was up to zero and I was like, this is going too well. This is not supposed to go this well. Well, you're the realist. Remember, you're the realist. Exactly. And I mean, I'm, I don't know if I just wasn't mentally ready for that. I don't know if, if it was lack of belief or I, I, I don't know. But, you know, the emotions kind of got to me a little bit. Also, Emma played a great match. So, you know, credits to her as well. I think there's like all of these things get just mixed together. But, you know, I'm very proud of everything after all. 
And, you know, I remember going to the press conference after that match and Paige told me, listen, whenever you are in there, think of your entire career. Just put this match behind you. So, yeah, that's kind of what I did. And yeah, I'm going to help you out here. All right, Stella, I'm going to help you out. Go for it. Four sweet 16s, three final fours, two finals appearances, and one title. You can be very proud. Very, very proud. I'm proud, and I just met you. Yeah, but listen, I've said it before. Those are just, like, numbers. Those are just awards or whatever. But listen, the growth that I've experienced is just way more important than any award, any recognition that I can get. Like, now I get home, and I'm just a different person. People have told me, you've changed so much over the last years. And that, I mean... I, I just cannot put them into words. Like, seriously, it's great. Like, all, all of these things are amazing. And, and it's been a dream. And, I mean, now I look at my resume and I'm like, this is so amazing, you know? But, again, it's it's just even, like, the relationship that I've had here in, in Miami with teammates, with my coaches, with, you know, my new assistant, um, Alex Santos. You know, such a great person. It's people that really inspire you. And just living this way, you know, feeling inspired by these people and, and feeling motivated. And it's just amazing. You know, people really want the best for you and, and they care about you and they really want to succeed. And that goes beyond any win or loss, you know. And, you know, after all, and after all the experience, the ups, the downs, the everything in between, I enjoyed every moment. Like, that's very powerful to say because... I believe that I've gone through a lot and, you know, I've enjoyed it like every, every step of the way. So now what's, we're going to, we're going pro, right? That's the plan. Exactly. That's the plan. It's, are you going to heed your advice and take some time off? Or are you getting right? Like what, what's happening? Are you going right in the training or are you going to actually heed your own advice and, you know, <laughs> relax a little bit? Well, I took one week off, actually 10 days off. And I got to Madrid on Monday, and today is Tuesday, and I had my first team session. You know, I saw like two-hour session, so it was good. And tomorrow I'm going to start practicing, and I'm actually playing a tournament the week of the 21st in Portugal. So I'm very looking forward to playing that. And, you know, after that, we're going to take it one week at a time, trusting the process, just like I did in college. And I'm sure that, you know, with the right work ethic and the right planning and the right people around me, anything is possible. I know you said those all, those other things are just numbers, but I have a bone to pick, not with you. Who was the professor that gave you a B? I was, <laughs> I was actually going to ask you before, all the movies, the yoga, the books, the practice, the this. I was like, did you, there are two of you? Like, how, you studied, you got a 3.95. Like, who, can we, can we, who, who gave you the B? Like, seriously, come on. <laughs> I know, honestly, you're not going to believe this. It was an elective. It was this elective that you take in the summer just because you have to, because you don't want to take a hard class. So you're just like, you know, let me take this. It was, the name of the class was, I think, wellness and health or something like that. And I was just, you know, let me enjoy my summer. If you'd invited the professor to that training session at the Watsco, he would have given you an A+. I remember actually writing great essays and great discussion posts. And, you know, in the summer, um, it was an online class. So all of the work was just written and we only had like one presentation. But I remember I had an 88.91 or something like that. And with an 89, you got an A. 
And, you know, I was just expecting those, you know, 0.07 decimals to, you know, whatever. I'm sure the professor is going to be nice. And all of a sudden, I just saw that B. And I was like, you know what? It's fine. It's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. I want his name afterwards. You're going to tell me his name off the air, and I'm going to go make a – I'm still in Miami. I'm going to go pay him a, or her a visit. I remember my trainer knew the professor, and she was like, listen, she was kind of the same with me. So I was like, you know, that made me feel better. I told you a couple people have shed a tear. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. This is the, one of the last things you tweeted. A bachelor's degree, a master's, forever friends in the experience of a lifetime, once a cane always a cane. What did it mean to be a cane? What does it mean? Wow. I cannot describe what it means to be a cane in one word. In our tennis house, in the tennis facility, we have written on the columns of the stadium, basically qualities that, in my opinion, define a cane. And those are commitment, love, care, determination, generosity, passion, and teamwork. I've read those qualities many, many times, and that's how I describe being a game. <laughs> As again, I cannot describe how much the last five years have changed my life. You know, everybody has a different path, but just the fact that I bought in since basically my first year, this really made the growth even even better, even even higher. I mean, I'm so lucky with, with everything, the coaches that I've had and, and all of that. And, you know, I think that being a cane is also, you know, fighting and doing whatever it takes to accomplish your dreams. And I've had many dreams in mind over my career. And I can say that I made all of that happen. Just the fact that I'm saying this right now, it's so powerful and so amazing and it means just so much and i don't know it, it has taught me a lot about about myself about my future what i can do in my future you know just knowing that you could accomplish that you can accomplish anything you want that's amazing that's life changing and i think that's the mentality of a champion and you know regardless of winning whatever you win I think that having this mindset is just life-changing and it's going to open so many doors of opportunities in, in the future. So yeah, that's what it means to be a game for me. You know, Miami has a very special place in my heart, obviously. So yeah, always a cane forever, you know? Always a cane. All right, Stella, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I told you when we started, I wanted to have you on. I'm honored that you did this. You're tremendous. And you know what, I guess I'll say, yes, the accomplishments are amazing. What you've done is tremendous. Greatness, without a doubt. But I've never spoken to you before. We've never met. You're a tremendous person. Uh, I love the person as much as I love the athlete. Uh, I'm just glad you you were, you made time to do this because I'm I like to hear about people's greatness and I like to be around good people and like to tell their stories. And this has been uh, very worthwhile. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me again. I think that, you know, um, it's important that other people also listen to, to these. And hopefully I inspire people just like other people have inspired me. As a little girl from Spain, you know, I was a little chubby when, when I got to Miami with, you know, a lot of dreams in mind. I think it's crazy to think what I've done and how much I've changed in a positive way. So hopefully other girls, other players, I don't, I don't care where they come 
they can be champions. They can achieve greatness, just like you said. And I think that there's nothing more powerful than becoming the best version of you. And, you know, that that might sound very nice and, and, you know, very pretty, but that's the truth. And that's what Miami has done for me. It's changed my, just everything for me in my life. But that can happen to to anybody, you know, with the right mindset and, and trusting the people around you and, and all of that. Anything can happen. So I think that I really, I really want to convey that to whoever is listening to this. You know, if you have a dream in mind, you can accomplish it. Even if you don't have the best qualities, physical qualities to play the sport or to play against other athletes, you can make that happen with the right mindset and, and work. And if you're passionate about what you're doing and if you're surrounded by the right people and, and you embrace the process and the tough moments and the ups and the downs and, and all of that, that's when the fun starts. That's when you realize, you know, all, all of your potential and all of you're capable of doing. So, yeah. I'm just going to leave it there. All right. Is it bedtime yet? <laughs> Kept you up late? No. <laughs> We're good. I couldn't speak here for hours. So Yeah, well, Duboka, well, you can come on again. after When you win your first professional tournament, you, you have an open invitation to come back. Well, thank you very much. I'm sure that I'm going to be back in Miami uh, sooner or later. Miami is home for me. So, you know, it's it's only eight, nine hours away from Madrid. So, I'm just, you know, I might take a, a plane and just buy a ticket and just get there. Any fun. All right, come on back. I feel like you'll probably be welcomed by a lot of people. <laughs> Hopefully. Me too. I think me too. <laughs> Stella, thank you so much for the time. Seriously, thank you very much. It was, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Josh.